I got to tell you guys, when I think of wisdom, I have to think of my neighbors I grew up with that were the greatest spiritual influences on my life. I've shared them with you before if, if you've been around. And this is Charlene and Bill Mellencamp and just amazing people. Um, and actually Bill was just like, he always was giving off these wise little proverbs that he would say from his experience and life experience. And actually one of my other high, he was a high school teacher and a neighbor. One of my other high school teachers actually went to Hollywood and became a producer. And he his name was David McFadzian, and he created a, a TV show called Home Improvement. And you know Tim and Wilson, his neighbor Wilson? Well, believe it or not, Wilson, this guy here, uh, is patterned after my neighbor, uh, William Mellencamp. And so actually, I lived next to Wilson, the real one, all right? So go back to Bill and Charlene. They were always sharing life wisdom with me and they, they knew the scriptures well, but it was also just a lot of just thoughts and maxims and quotes and things that they would share. This is what they did. Bill did that a lot. There was one particular occasion though that we were, Ruth and I were actually on vacation with them and um, we were talking about what we were gonna do that day and Bill really wanted to power through the day and do as many things as we possibly could get in that day. And Charlene said something that I have remembered to this day uh, as we were looking ahead to our schedule for that vacation day. And she said, quote, Bill, I don't want to make my life miserable trying to have a good time. <laughs> it was just so great. I don't wanna make my life miserable trying to have a good time. And I really wanna talk about that today. Uh, we all hear about the pursuit of happiness, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We know about that. And yes, our heart's desires are aimed toward that and we find our ultimate happiness in, in re relationship with God. But I wanna flip it around a little bit. I wanna talk about not the pursuit of happiness as that goal that we, we are seeking after, but rather, the happiness that we can find in pursuit, the happiness of pursuit. I don't wanna make my life miserable trying to have a good time. And I wanna give you from the book of Proverbs, we're coming to chapter 13 now, seven traits or practices that will, I believe, make your life more joyful, more productive, uh, more experientially satisfying when you live out these seven straightforward everyday wisdom habits. And remember, these are proverbs. They are not ironclad promises that cover every conceivable exception. They are not like the laws of physics. Remember, uh, Captain Kirk and Star Trek and, and Scotty. And Scotty was always telling Captain Kirk things. Captain Kirk wanted him to save the day and completely uh, change everything. And I remember one scene happened over and over again, and it's this one. Check it out. Shows we have about eight minutes left. Scotty, I can't change the laws of physics. I've got to have 30 minutes. Yeah, they got eight minutes until the ship blows up. And then Kirk says, fix it. And he says, I can't defy the laws of physics. I can't change them. So there are things in life that are ironclad without any exceptions at all. And they are the rules of physics. These proverbs that we're giving to you throughout the book are not the laws of physics, all right? They are flexible, they apply in various situations, there are exceptions to them, but generally speaking, they are true 
to life. They are great wisdom for living. That's what Proverbs is about. So think of these Proverbs as best practices for getting the most out of your life in Jesus Christ. Think of these as God's tweets, his mottos, his wisecracks, his insights, his maxims. So I'm going to give you seven today that are the uh, that really explore the happiness of pursuit, how you can experience joy along the way, all right? Principle number, uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse four. The slacker craves, yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. So here we have this idea of complete satisfaction, finding fulfillment, finding satisfaction, finding happiness. He's really happy. The slacker, on the other hand, craves. He has lots of desires, but he doesn't have anything. He doesn't experience satisfaction. There's nothing there for him. But the diligent, that is the one who works hard, goes after it, gets the job done, doesn't just have desires, but has hard work to go with it, then he is fully satisfied. He sees the reward of his labor. Right, you got it. So here's the first principle first best practice I want to give to you, and that is in the happiness of pursuit, you, we need to combine desire and diligence. What was missing? What was the missing piece for the slackers? It's not desire, because we learn they crave. They have deep desires. It is not desire that they're lacking. It is diligence. It is hard work. Now, all of us in all of our lives have areas of our lives that we're a little bit slackers in. We admit this, all right? We, we are, almost everyone. Uh, for example, I can relate to this one. It's about slackers in the kitchen, all right? When you're hungry, but all the food in the house needs to be cooked first. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it, right? And that I do that all the time. And so it's just like, take the shortcut, you know, whatever. Maybe you can relate to that. Um, here is one from the workplace. Every workplace has this crew. This guy does 99% of the work. Next person has no idea what's going on the whole time. This person says he's going to help, but he's not. And then this person disappears at the very beginning and doesn't show up until the very end. So, okay, we can relate to this. And the scripture, actually Proverbs has a lot to say about diligence and hard work and the value of hard work. Uh, it's combining, if you really want to experience happiness along the way and find fulfillment and satisfaction, it just can't be that you want it. it. Sometimes, many times, you have to put in the hard work to get it done. It's effort. It takes work. It doesn't come to you just because you want it. You have to pursue it. Vince Lombardi, the legendary Green Bay Packer coach and champion, said this quote, everyone has the will to win. Very few have the will to prepare to win. You know, the secret is not wanting to win. The secret is preparing to win. And there is so much to be said for an honest day of hard work, of putting in the effort. It just takes some sweat sometimes to see and experience fulfillment. It doesn't happen just because we wish it, all right? It's great to be a dreamer, but we must also be doers. In fact, the scripture says um, in one uh, incredible verse in the book of Proverbs, uh, James chapter 1, God has planted his word in your hearts, for it has the power 
to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Uh, For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and then you forget what you look like. You had the dream, you had the idea, you had the in, in mind, but he says, if you carefully look into the perfect law, that's God's word, that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you have heard, then God will bless you for doing it. The uh, uh, other translations don't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. So it's not just hearing it, agreeing with it, even desiring it. It is actually putting it into practice. Is there anything in your life right now, anything important in your life that you know is right and good and you have put off doing it or quit because it feels too hard? You want it, but you've just not taken the effort. In whatever your life, might God be calling you to take up action and be diligent about pursuing it? I don't know. God may speak to you about that particular Um, best practice. That's the first one. Here's another one. Verse nine, the light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is put out or probably better translated, the lamp of the wicked goes out. It's not so much that it's it's extinguished, but that it just, just eventually dies out. This proverb tells us a couple of things about the happiness of pursuit. And that is, We underestimate the righteous following Jesus, knowing Jesus and following him. He says that shines brightly. Their light shines brightly. And a lot of times we don't see that or we don't believe that or we don't recognize it, right? And he says here, but the lamp of the wicked goes out or is put out, right? In other words, the first thing is we underestimate the impact that the righteous have And secondly, we envy the wicked. We're like, oh, they're getting away with this, or wouldn't it be nice to have a life like that? And you may know inwardly that it's it's wrong, but there's still a temptation there that, you know, that looks pretty good. And this proverb is, is reminding you, you got a lot going on for you, going for you as the righteous. You shine. This is light for you and also light for others. Don't underestimate this. Light your world is the second principle. Light your world, which means allow God's light to be to light your life and and don't underestimate the power of the word of God to really bring something to light in your life, to light your path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path, but also the righteous are a light to others. Paul talks about us being like stars shining in the universe holding forth the word of life to other people. We actually, Jesus said, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So we have this tremendous impact and you can have a lot of joy when you recognize the impact that you really have, that kind action, that generosity that you uh, uh, practice, that sacrifice that you made. That kindness that you showed, that forgiveness that you extended, that light, it shines brightly and it can bring you joy. And not just shines for others, it shines for you. But also don't envy the wicked. Don't envy those who have rejected God and walking away. And it looks like they may 
temporarily be getting away with it. It's only temporary. It won't last forever. Eventually, it will be extinguished. Their hopes will not last. This is the reality that the book of Proverbs brings back to us. To think of this in a more long-term perspective rather than short-term gain. So happiness, we sometimes forget about, we, 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 we get caught up in the moment and forget about the long-term perspective. And the book of Proverbs says, you're shining bright. Let your light, let light shine in you, light your own world, light others' worlds, and find joy and happiness in pursuing Jesus that way. Okay, keep going. Verse 10 is another, the third best practice is verse 10. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife. But wisdom is gained by those who take advice. Here we have the principle, if you really want to experience happiness in your pursuit uh, throughout your life, rethink yourself. There is a lot of emphasis in our culture and in our day about self. Be yourself. You be you. You know, do what's best for you. Think of yourself first. Put yourself first. Self, 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 self. And I get all that, and it's important to take care of ourselves and self-care. That's very important, no doubt about it. But it can be taken out of bounds and beyond the boundaries of the Word of God in that it becomes just a preoccupation with self, which is pride or arrogance. When we become the center of the universe. God isn't the center of our lives. Other people aren't the center of our lives. We become the center, and that becomes idolatry. Arrogance here leads to nothing but strife. Arrogance is, I say, I'm right. I have nothing to learn from anyone else. I am the most important person. I'm not listening to God or other wise voices in my life. So I'm not even trying to understand because I already know what I'm doing. I know, that's arrogance. And that attitude with the centrality of self and the idea that I don't really need to learn anything, that I already know it all, that just leads to strife and problems. It constantly do does. Arguments, friction in the home, disagreements, and just, just a spirit that just is toxic for happiness. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. The flip side is, I know some, but I don't know it all. I've got a lot to learn. I want to seek out opportunities to glean insights from the Word of God, from other wise people I know, from people that are instructing me in life, from coaches, from teachers, uh, from people that are at the workplace pouring into us, whatever it might be, um, I, the wise person is one who says, I don't know it all, I have a lot to learn. And they seek out mentors. If you want to experience happiness in your pursuit, um, do yourself a favor. Open up your heart, open up your mind, become very teachable, and say, I want to learn. I have a lot to know. I have a lot to grow in. And this is so incredibly important because when everybody wants to be first or thinks they know it all, that just leads to strife. But if a person who's 
heart is open. So I ask you this question, honestly. Um, what are the advantages for you of cultivating a teachable spirit and how does arrogance ruin everything? How do you see that played out in your life? And I want to just encourage you, maybe someone is trying to get through to you and I would just encourage you to lower maybe that pushback, open up your heart and say, what do I need to learn in this situation? And maybe it's God speaking to you. I don't know. All right. You know, the, the, the game, it's called the balloon stomp. They do it, it like we, we did it. Uh, here's a little video of the balloon stomp. Everybody's got this balloon and they try to stomp it and, and, and stomp the other person's balloon. That's the whole game. And you get joy in stomping out the other person's balloon, right? Um, we did something similar to this at a recent uh, staff time and uh, several people were injured <laughs> lightly. But, um, you know, it was pretty crazy. Um, I read a great story. A guy named Robert Roberts writes about a fourth grade class in which the teacher introduced the balloon stomp and tied to every, the balloon was tied to every child's ankle and the object of the game was to pop everybody else's balloon while protecting your own. The last person with an intact balloon would win the game. The concept was if I win, then you lose. And if, if I lose, then I lose, Right. The nine-year-olds entered into the spirit of things vigorously. When the battle was over, in a matter of seconds, only one balloon was still inflated. And of course, the owner of that balloon was the most disliked kid in the room. A second class came later that day and was asked to play the same game. Only this time, the class was filled with um, children with developmental uh, delays and differences and disabilities. And the balloon stomp proceeded quite differently. When the instructions were given, it seemed the only idea they grasped was that the balloons were supposed to be popped. But instead of fighting each other off, the children got the idea that they were supposed to help one another plop the balloons. So they formed a kind of balloon stomp co-op. And one little girl knelt down and held her balloon carefully in place like a holder for a field goal kicker while a little boy stomped it flat and then knelt down and held his balloon still for her to stomp it flat. And on and on it went. And all the children helping one another in the great stomp. And when the very last balloon was popped, everybody cheered and everybody won that game. And the question you have to ask is this, who got the game right and who got the game wrong? Now I'm all in favor of a good healthy amount of competition and that's fun too. But sometimes in life, when we're pursuing something, we can go get so fixated on being right and having to win and defeat the other person that it causes strife. And a wise person steps back and says, you know, maybe there's something I need to learn in this situation. Who are the wise people? Who are the happy people? It is the ones who listen to good mentors that may have a different approach than the one that we're on, who are not know-it-alls. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 12 in Proverbs chapter 13 says, hope delayed makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. This uh, proverb is not really telling us what to do. It's actually just making a very honest reflection on life. This is the way life is. And a lot of Proverbs are like that. They're just not telling you what to do, just understanding 
the journey of life. And in this particular passage, what it's saying here is that hope delayed, if you are longing for something, and often this can be a God-given dream, a God-given hope, a God-given desire, completely holy and good and righteous, but it's delayed. For whatever reason, God hasn't answered that prayer. For whatever reason, you have not yet seen that hope and desire and dream in your heart come about, even though it may even be God-given. And you've prayed about this, and you've longed for it, and you pleaded with God for it. But it has not come yet. And what he says is, that makes the heart sick. It's just a heartache, you know? Solomon is just telling you, that, that, that's hard. So if you're experiencing that, that's, that's part of the human um, experience that's so difficult that so many of the things that we long for don't come about quickly. Some of them we'll even have to wait to eternity to experience. But he's just honestly sharing with us that, yeah, that's hard. That is hard. But then he gives a board of encouragement. So it's an honest reflection in the first line. But the second line is a, a word of encouragement. And that is a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. In other words, hang on long enough. And when, and when God brings that fulfillment of the desire, it's the tree of life. It's like the very best thing you can imagine. It's like the tree of life. I mean, that's, that's the Garden of Eden there, right? So this whole desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And of course, you know, this is the gospel, basically. Um, we have these longings and desires, and we fall short of them and oftentimes pursue them in wrong ways. But God brought us hope through Jesus Christ and his uh, love for us on the cross, his death for us, and then his life through his resurrection. We so celebrated so gloriously. By the way, last weekend was amazing. And it, uh, it, it broke, uh, you know, numbers aren't everything, but they do tell a story of impact. And it was the largest um, we've ever had at Valley Church. Um, so celebrate that with me. But this is the desire fulfilled. It's a tree of life. Uh, it's just so good when you see God come through. And it can be, it can be a small thing. Um, it can be kind of a medium thing, or it can be a really big hope or desire that you have in your heart. And when those things come, it's just, it's just life to you. And, and God knows how to measure those out. And, and we don't experience all of them in this life. Some of them are reserved for the other side. But it's just an honest reflection in life. And the encouragement here is that here's the, the fourth truth I take from this. And the best practice is take the journey anyway. God has you on a journey. He does. And it's hard sometimes. It, it's heartache sometimes. It's hard. It's, and you have all these desires and it's delayed and delayed. Take it anyway. Take the journey anyway. Because the desire fulfilled, uh, when God does bring that, it's, it's the tree of life. It's just the best thing. Um, uh, I love... What Mother Teresa um, said one day um, about this. Uh, Mother Teresa said, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, 
you will win, win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, others may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you have anyway. You see, she says, in the final analysis, it was between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyway, ultimately. So take the journey anyway. That is the happiness of pursuit. Keep going. Um, another passage, uh, another verse, 19 actually, uh, sort of brings another angle to this. It's, it's a counterbalance, if you will, to what we just said. You know, pursuing these dreams and staying at the journey and everything. But also remember this. Desire fulfilled is sweet to the taste. I mean, it's so good when you have that desire fulfilled. It's sweet. But to turn from evil is detestable to fools. What in the world is this talking about? Let me tell you about a story about a woman named Rosie Ruiz. Here she is. And um, she won the 1980 Boston Marathon. There she is, across the finish line, the first woman across, and she actually set the Boston Marathon record for women, the fastest time there had ever been for a woman in the Boston Marathon. Hooray for her. Look, check it out. She just collapses there. She has to be helped off because she's so exhausted, and the police are there to help her. And what, a, what an incredible thing. Desire fulfilled is sweet to the taste. What an incredibly sweet moment for Rosie Ruiz. The problem was that it was all fake. Rosie Ruiz, as they began to explore, they began to, to doubt things about whether she'd really done this. And this isn't now, today, it's impossible for us to think this, but there's not cameras everywhere following her every move. And what actually happened was Rosie Ruiz jumped into the race at the last mile, and she didn't mean to do this, but she ran, she, she got, she managed to kind of join the race, but she actually stepped in before the fastest woman. And so she was the most surprised of all uh, that she finished first, okay? And they're cheering for her, and it's amazing. And now she's caught um, in this lie. I want to read to you what Eugene Peterson says about this. The marathon is one of the most strenuous athletic events in the world, in sport. The Boston Marathon attracts the best runners in the world. The winners automatically place them among the great athletes of our time, and years ago, Rosie Ruiz was the first woman to cross the finish line. She had the laurel wreath placed on her head and a blaze of lights, cheering, TV coverage. She was completely unknown in the world of running, an incredible feat. Her first race, a victory in the prestigious Boston Marathon. Then someone noticed her legs, loose flesh, cellulite. Questions were asked. 
No one had really seen her along the 26.2 mile course. The truth came out. She had jumped into the race during the last mile. Um, she had actually, uh, the, they began to question it because she had run in the New York Marathon and she had improved her time dramatically, like 20 minutes. And that ca caused people to begin to question it. And then like nobody really saw her. Later on, they would find out that Rosa Ruiz actually didn't run the uh, New York Marathon either. She took a bus and then just jumped in at the end. There was an immediate and widespread interest in Rosie. Why would she do that when it was certain she would be found out? Athletic performance cannot be faked. It's not usually. But guess what? She never admitted her fraud. Even though the prize and her award was taken away from her eight days later after the race, she would never admit that she had cheated. Never would admit it. She repeatedly said she would run another marathon to validate her ability. And somehow, Rosie Ruiz never got around to doing that. People interviewed her, searching for a clue to her personality. Why would she do this? By the way, two years later, she would embezzle a bunch of money from her employer, 60 grand, and would spend five days in jail for that and was fined money. Um, later on, she would also be busted for uh, a cocaine deal. People interviewed her, searching for a clue. A lot of people analyzed her as a sociopath. She lied convincingly and naturally with no sense of conscience, no sense of reality in terms of right and wrong, acceptable and unacceptable behavior. She, a friend said that privately he told her, uh, she told him that she did cheat, but she didn't expect to be, jump in the first in front of all the other women. Why am I telling you this story? Because go back to verse 19. Desire fulfilled is sweet to the taste, but to turn from evil is detestable to fools. And fools are not stupid people in the scriptures. Fools are people that are morally impoverished and they're morally foolish. They cannot, they've gotten so caught up in it that they can no longer even understand right and wrong and they're just corrupted to that level. Rosie Ruiz is the poster child for this verse. She had the sweetness of victory, and she would never turn from it. That was detestable to her. She could never do that. That, my friends, is a very bad trait. And here's the principle that I want to give to you from verse 19. We have to manage our passions. So yes, it's great, good to pursue your dreams. It's good to pursue the desires, even God-given desires. But we also need to remember something. This is quite important. Life wisdom from, from the book of Proverbs. You can want something too much. You can get to the point that you have to have it. That it becomes this all-consuming passion. Even to the point where you want it so much, you're in danger. When you want something too much, you are in danger of rationalizing and justifying almost any decision you make. 
and then denying it's wrong. In fact, you can become blinded to how wrong it is because you feel justified in this. You rationalize this. And one thing I've said many times, uh, ambition clouds judgment. When you really, really want something, even a good thing, you can want it so much that it overshadows good judgment. It overshadows God's wisdom. It overshadows what's right. And instead, you find yourself justifying all sorts of things. And Scripture is just telling us here, don't be like a fool who can't turn from that. No, you need to ask God for open eyes. Good, sweet things can become idols. He says, turn from those bad choices. So let me give you some examples. You're competitive. Rosie Ruiz wanted to win, and so she cheated. Uh, you can want justice, and that's good. But it can degenerate into a revengeful, hostile, mean-spirited um, mentality. And, and, and that's poison to you. That, that's not helping you or anyone else or your family. You can feel entitled, like I deserve this because I worked hard for this or I deserve this. And, you know, we get it. Yeah, you did work hard. But sometimes it just doesn't work out or whatever it might be. That can turn to anger and jealousy and rage. Um, you can want success so much in the workplace, in the relationship, in business, that you begin to take ethical shortcuts and then you're justifying them because this is a good thing. I'm providing for my family or this is a good relationship or God would want me to have this or whatever. Friends, you, you, you can say, I want to be popular. I want to be liked so much that we begin to just live to please them and bend to the pressure that they have and end up compromising all sorts of things in our lives that we know are wrong. We can want love so badly that we compromise ourselves, that we give ourselves away to people who are not worthy of, a, of, of, of that. We can pursue career so much that we sacrifice our relationships, our families, sometimes our integrity, our health. Have the wisdom to restrain. And even in the spiritual realm, we can be so convinced that we're right that we become, become obstinate, ungracious, unforgiving, arrogant Pharisees. Don't be that guy. Don't be that person, right? In the church, we say to people often, don't mistake your personal passion for the calling of the whole church. It's great that you're interested in this aspect of the life of Jesus or the mission of the church or whatever. That's fantastic. And that's what makes the body of Christ great. But when it becomes so consuming that everybody else around you doesn't have that same level of passion for that specific area, you begin to be judgmental and critical. At Valley, among our staff, uh, we talk, we have a, a little uh, slogan or motto, and that is, um, no God talk or prayer bullies allowed. That is, we all work together as a team, and you can't lay it down and say, well, God told me to do this, or this is what God wants, or this scripture, and then quote it to prove everybody else wrong and kind of lay down the, the God card, or I've prayed about this, therefore you have to do it my way. 
look, that's not right because in, in the body of Christ, in, in, among our team, we, we assume that everyone here is following Jesus. We assume that everyone has good motives. We assume that everybody is, is trying to do their best and they truly are seeking Jesus and they are praying about these things. And, and you know, we have to work through those things. Be careful of, of, of going too far with that so that you become accidentally a Pharisee. My friend Larry Osborne, pastor, says... Uh, nobody wants to become a Pharisee. It's kind of like going to Denny's. Nobody wants to go there. You just end up there. Um, sorry to, if you own a Denny's. Anyway, but that's the same thing here. Okay, so desire fulfilled is sweet, but make sure it doesn't get out of hand or nasty or immoral or dishonest or pharisaical. The happiness of pursuit is when you can achieve something, build something, experience a relationship, work on a project, serve in the church, and you can look yourself in the mirror every day before God and say, I'm far from perfect, but I have achieved and I'm pursuing that desire with my faith and my integrity and my love intact. That's managing your passions. Okay? Verse 20, we go on to the next one. So the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. It's a very simple truth here, but it's about the happiness of pursuit. And that is, it matters a great deal whom you choose as your life's closest inner circle. Here's the principle, number six. Choose companions carefully. Now understand me, we need to befriend our neighbors, all of them, regardless. We need to love our neighbors, you know, love all of our neighbors. We befriend people who have wildly different values than our own. Even ones we may find offensive or evil or wrong, we still love them. But your inner circle, your closest friends, the people that you're walking with, we might say doing life with, that's a different matter. You will be shaped by those in your inner circle. You will be. And you will go the furthest if you're doing that in community with godly people. There's an old African proverb that says this. Uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That's wisdom. Back to 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise. So the people that you spend time around with you influence you. And if you walk with wise people who are pursuing Jesus, following Jesus, share those values, share those, that life, then you're going to be influenced in a positive way. And by the way, you can influence them too. Um, and he says, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Remember a few weeks ago, I told you my mom, she hardly ever, you know, she kind of, had a kind of hands-off parenting style. She, she didn't want to be a controller or a helicopter mom, but one time she says, stay away from Dale. That was good advice. She knew that he was not good, and so I hated her advice. She didn't overdo it, but she said, stay away from Dale. Remember last week, I told you the dumbest thing I ever did, and Steve years later apologized for influencing me. That was not wise on my part. Um, so it's just a good thing to think about. Um, Choose your companions carefully. I also want to widen this just slightly in that remember that your companions are not just people that you're physically with, but also you're interacting with on social media. Social media, just remember, social media can be a very positive influence. You can have friends. You can do uh, great stuff at work uh, uh, online. You can go on social media and all those different things. 
it can be incredibly positive, but it can also go south in a hurry. And if you go into a, a terrain where you're spending a lot of time with fools, people who are morally corrupt, people who are just dragging you down into anger um, by their, uh, you know, just uh, their constant haranguing, whatever it might be, be careful. So, and then also in spiritual formation, choose your companions carefully. Are you spending time, you know, with God, with Jesus, in his word, in prayer? Are you conversing with him? Are, 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 are you having a, a, a constructive and good experience as you interact with your life group? And, and those are good companions for life. The bottom line is, are you walking with the wise or are you a companion of fools? When you look at the whole, be lean into the wisdom. Befriend people, whoever they might be, but your closest inner circle needs to be um, wise people because the outcomes are pretty stark in their differences. One will become wise, the other will suffer harm, damage. And remember this, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He reached out to them, he transformed them. But he had his closest inner circle, and those were the ones he poured into. And, and Jesus longs for you to walk with him. Uh, he gave his life for you to be able to walk with him. And you can be so wise and grow in so much wisdom by walking with him and with godly people who walk with him. Okay, last verse for today. And that is, the, uh, the, a righteous person eats until he's satisfied, but the stomach of the wicked is empty. Why are we talking about people's dietary habits here in the book of Proverbs? What is this about? Guys, I, I don't think this is about meal planning. It, it's not about, you know, how many calories you consume. It's not about that. It's, it's a proverb. And it's, it's not about the specific topic. It's a way of expressing a truth. And that is um, walking with God, that's the righteous person. What you're taking in, walking with God, is ultimately satisfying. Whereas the one who is wicked, who is rejecting God, their lives are empty. Um, they, 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 there's an emptiness of the soul that takes place there. So here's the, the last principle, the seventh principle for today, and that is pursue God. Experience the happiness of pursuit. As we pursue him, that's where we're going to find the satisfaction in our souls. You know, I love how Jesus talked about this. Um, he talked about, in Matthew chapter 6, about people that were all worried about, what's going to happen in my life? Where am I going to get more stuff? Where am I going to get more to eat, more to drink, you know, worrying about, you know, what's the future going to look like? And he, they're chasing, chasing happiness, chasing contentment, chasing, you know, what they think they need. And he says these words, look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they can any of you add one moment to his life by worry? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that even Solomon 
in all his splendor was was not in all not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. Yet that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Won't he do much more for you? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. They're chasing it. They're chasing contentment. They're chasing fulfillment. They're chasing satisfaction. They're chasing happiness. He says, your heavenly father knows what you need. And he says, instead, you, you seek first the kingdom. You pursue me. And all these other things will be provided for you. It's in pursuing God and his kingdom that you're going to experience the joy, the contentment, the satisfaction, and the fulfillment that you are seeking. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. I go back to my friends, my neighbors, that had the deepest spiritual influence on my life. And Charlene said that day, I don't want to make my life miserable trying to have a good time. Father in heaven, show us how to pursue you above all things. And in you, we find satisfaction. In you and following you, we find all that our heart desires. Your word says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And, oh, God, your word makes clear there. As we find our satisfaction and fulfillment in you, we'll have everything that we need to bring soul satisfaction to us. Help us to trust you. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.